Welcome, everybody. We're so glad to have you guys here online with us. Thank you so much for joining us. We're applauding for you. And at Homer Glen and at New Linux and Orland Park, we're glad to have you with us. It is March Madness time. How about those peacocks? Come on. Haven't you always wanted to cheer for the peacocks? I mean, come on. I don't, I don't even, what do they do? I don't know. It's so funny. And, and of course, the Duke story is awesome. You know, Coach K's last year. Um, so, you know, like me, I'm like, I can't just, I mean, basketball is pretty engaging, but I can't just sit there. So I'm thinking about the mascots, you know, because you're, you're watching the Blue Devil. I mean, <laughs> what, what is that? And you got the peacock. And then I started looking into it and I started realizing there's some pretty weird mascots out there, like, like Big Red from Western Kentucky University. I just stopped in Bowling Green recently, there he, and there he was. Little Red from University of Nebraska. I mean, they're just red people, right? And then you got Otto the Orange from Syracuse, right? Go Orange Men. I mean, that's weird. But then it gets really weird when you got the banana slug from the University of California, Santa Cruz. Or how about the tree from Stanford? the fighting tree, and then we have the fighting okra, that's my all-time favorite, from Delta State. I mean, they're just slimy, they're supposed to be pickled, I don't know how they're scary, but, but I started thinking about it, okay? A mascot, according to Webster, is a person, an animal, an object adopted by a group as a symbolic figure, especially to bring them good luck, okay? So the Christians have a mascot. Um, well, We got bobblehead Jesus, right? I mean, I couldn't get a Jesus mascot costume, okay? I, I don't know why, but, but I couldn't. I, my, my question is, is Jesus our mascot or, you know, our bobblehead or, or is he our teacher? I mean, I can understand how, man, his head's still going, isn't it? That's really crazy. I, I can understand how it happens. Church sometimes wants to make Jesus kind of programmed, you know, packaged um, plastic, if you will. And, and, and often what we miss from that is the full presence of God in his son of Jesus. And we start settling for more of a bobblehead, for more of a mascot. So what we're trying to do in this series is to show you the unbelievable Jesus and help him make you believable. Because fighting okra is never going to be believable, but Jesus needs to really be believable. He can't just be a bobblehead. He can't just be a mascot. You have to actually understand who he is. And we're doing that through this wonderful TV program that's called The Chosen, okay? And that's why we're using scenes of it. You've seen it already. If this is your very first week, welcome. Um, you can find this show on an app. You can find the first season on Peacock, uh, and, and it, it's, it's free to get and it's fantastic. And the reason we all love it so much is because Jesus didn't come to just teach us a few things. He came to change the world. And sometimes when we package him up like this, it just makes him another thing, right? He just, he's just, another, he's just another, another good teacher. But let me, and let me explain to you how things go usually with most churches, actually most organizations, period. And, and I'll stick with what I know, which is churches, okay? Over the course of time, Followers want to follow Jesus, but then they turn him into a mascot, and they forget why he exists. All right. Example, in the Bible, most of Paul's writings, most of the New Testament, and even Peter's later on, and John's, are writings to address churches that have already started messing things up. 
I mean, they've started doing it so fast that it's already recorded in the Bible, right? I mean, that's how fast it goes. We get to the book of Revelation, and there are seven churches addressed in the book of Revelation, and five of them are in trouble after only 30 years. How does that happen? Professor Howard Hendricks has charted the stages of an institution's life, and it goes like this. Stage one is need. Most institutions, and especially churches, are born out of sacrifice. They're born out of a need. And if you don't know the backstory of Parkview, in 1951, there were three ladies that lived in Joliet that would ride the train downtown, and they would take the Metra, and there was a stop in Tinley Park, and they saw a need. They felt a need. Three ladies. I love that the, that the women got this church started, that there was a need here. And here's a picture of them, um, the charter members of the Tinley Park Church of Christ. It all started with a need way back then. And then stage two is growth. Most institutions go through a a, a dynamic where they have growth and vitality and they are characterized by high demands and organizational need. Here's a picture of of our church when we were first in our Orland campus. This is is from the corner of 183rd and Wolf Road when nothing was here at our very first location we moved to. And, and, And it was because we'd outgrown our other building and we moved into this building and that was the stage of growth. Growth. And I figured it out recently when I was talking to some other pastors. We did an average of 18% growth over 22 years up until the pandemic. I mean, that, that was, that's a lot of hair on fire. The first 10 years were about transitioning and repositioning and getting everything ready. And then once this started to happen, We were in a stage of growth. But then what happens in stage three, which we are not in, but we have to always study, is acceptance. Most institutions level off. They stagnate. They're characterized by an emphasis on reputation, the status in the community, and they tend to start to become unwilling to sacrifice and fulfill their mission. And all of a sudden, bobblehead Jesus starts to appear, okay? And stage four is demise. That's when institutions become very traditional. They become characterized by taking pride in the past. As I'm saying this, many of you are like, oh, yeah, I know that church, right? I know that organization. They live in the past with no response to the present and no vision for the future. And they utter the seven famous last words of any institution, we've never done it that way before, right? And sadly, most of them don't know they're dead, and they're wasting a great number of resources and a great amount of time that is for the precious saints of God to do something with, and they're not doing anything with it. And it breaks my heart, and I can't imagine what it does to God's heart. And here's the deal, guys. COVID has really magnified this problem. So many churches don't really have any idea what they're doing now. Up to COVID, most of them could coast along doing the same old thing, right? Doing the same old thing. Jody did such a great job last week. Her dad is one of my really good friends, and he wrote this one time. Here's what it's normally like when, it, when it's same old. Every day, the same old alarm goes off at the same old time. You get out of that same old bed, you walk to that same old bathroom, look at that same old face and that same old mirror, brush those same old teeth, take that same old shower, that same old soap, dry off of that same old towel, put on those same old clothes, go in that same old kitchen, get that same old bowl, pour out that same old cereal, sit in the same old chair, that same old table, grab those same old keys, kiss that same old wife, get in that same old car, drive the same old way to the same old job. 
You listen to that same old boss, tell those same old jokes and do that same old job and at, the same, at that same old desk and at that same old time, you drive that home that same old way in that same old car and you fight that same old traffic and you wave at those same old neighbors and you pull in that same old garage and you hug those same old kids and you take off those same old shoes and you watch that same old wheel of fortune and you fall asleep in that same old chair at that same old time and you go up to that same old bed and you ask that same old wife that same old question and you get that same old answer, and you grab that same old pillow, and you wait for that same old alarm to go off so you can get up and do the same old thing all over again, and then you die, right? And and what is that? That is acceptance and demise. And the truth of the matter is, this is what is so scary about American Christianity right now, that worked okay up until COVID. That worked for churches okay up until the pandemic shut everything down and they didn't know how to figure out how to get online. And now those churches are back, but they don't know if their people are coming back and they really aren't sure if they're gonna reach anybody new and they really never did for the last 20 years anyway. So it's just a matter of time that we hit this with a great number of the churches that are in the United States, actually in the world. And that concerns me because we don't want to die. We want to be a church that still exists and is still is able to reach our kids and our grandkids, right? And I think they're going to need Jesus more than we ever did to help get them through this world. So here's what Peter Drucker always said. Father of American business management said, Every day you got to ask yourself two questions. What business are we in and how's business? So, what business are we in? Well, here's the last will and testament of Jesus. Before he went back to prepare to be a, a place for us to be forever, he said, Then it said, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, apprentices of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We've broken that down into three R's here at Parkview. Our first mission statement is to reach, to go into all the world and to baptize them, okay? That's, that's what we're supposed to do. So we're always gonna be a church that's about the people on the outside because go is the first thing we're supposed to do. Reach is the first thing we're supposed to do. And then we raise, we make disciples of all nations, teaching them how to obey everything I have commanded you. That's what we do. And then we get to release where we send them back into the world so that they can serve the world and help start the process all over again. That's Jesus' goal. That's his, that's his mission statement, okay? So let me explain each one of those with some scenes from The Chosen and help you to understand it. Here's a scene where Jesus is calling Peter to be a different kind of fisherman. Fish are nothing. You have much bigger things ahead of you, Simon, son of Jonah. Did you understand that parable I told earlier? From now on, I will make you fishers of men. And you are to gather as many as possible, all kinds. I will sort them out later. Here's what he said. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay? Here's what he said in John 17. In the same way that you gave me a mission to the world, I give them a mission to the world. 
Here's what he said in John 20. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Do you get all that? Okay. What are we being sent to do? What is our mission? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be fishers of men. We're supposed to be sent. We're, we're supposed to take our mission to the world. And what Paul, Paul says it even more specifically. He says, the most important thing that I do is complete my mission. What mission? The work that Jesus has given me to do to tell people the good news about God's grace. That's not Paul's mission, that's everybody's mission. Because again, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, right? Who is he talking to? Everybody that's following him. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Where were they when he was saying this? They were in Jerusalem, okay? So here's the point. The first thing he's saying is, I want you to start at home. I want you to start with the people who are closest to you right there in your own local community. So for us at Parkview, that is Parkview in the south suburbs of Chicago. That is our local place. We love that we got people watching all over the world, and that's the ends of the earth. But our primary focus in the place that we start is right here. And it has been all of those years ago. And what has God done in the middle of that? Well, you saw that picture of the corner of 183rd and Wolf Road, right? I mean, that, that's, it's crazy what has happened in the meantime. And now a campus in Homer Glen and a, and a campus in New Lenox. I mean, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Then he says, I want you to go to Judea and Samaria. So what's that? Those are the people who are a little bit different culturally and maybe a little bit different racially. And they're in your area. So for that, it would be us planting churches in Chicago. It would be restoration ministry. It might be Morning Star. We've got Mike Singletary coming in in a few weeks, and and we're working on a big project to go back into the inner city with him and, and some stuff that we're getting ready to do. That's our Judea and Samaria, okay? And the ends of the earth, he said. And that is why, uh, we, again, we want to we get to know you at the ends of the earth who are watching now. It's so crazy to think about it now. Used to be when I would preach this passage, the ends of the earth was just about the mission field, right? But now you're watching me from all over the place, and we love you, and we want to help you. And, and yeah, we are able to work. Whenever you give, whenever you support Parkview, you are supporting the places that we work in, like Malawi, like Kenya, like Mexico, and even what is going on in the Ukraine. We haven't taken up a special offering because we've already given money to Ukraine because when you give money, we give it through Convoy of Hope. And I just got to show you this video that, that somebody took from inside Ukraine that was handing out. The, the first part of the video is the warehouses of Convoy of Hope, and then you're going to see what you are helping to do. Watch this. I'm Ethan Forhats with Convoy of Hope. We wanted to share this video with you. It comes from inside Ukraine, and for security reasons, we can't say exactly where. In it, though, you'll see thousands of people waiting to receive life-sustaining food that Convoy of Hope is providing, while bombs go off in the background.
foarte tare bombardează. It is an unimaginable situation, but it's happening every day inside Ukraine. It's because of you the Convoy of Hope is able to help the people of Ukraine. Thank you for coming alongside Convoy as we serve our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. They need our prayers and they need our support. You're already doing it. And we need to do more. And can you imagine living like that? God, I just want to stop and pray right now. For, I mean, there's walking along, there's not only the bombs, but you can hear the trajectory as they're whistling in. And I just want to pray for safety. I want to pray that you would do something to stop this war and be with us as we support them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so, so listen, here's, here's the problem, okay? Um, when, when you hear um, reach, raise, release, you're probably like, oh, wait a minute. I, I can't, I can't, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just here, Okay. You know, I don't want to talk to anybody else, right? But I want you to understand that he doesn't want you to be his defense attorney. He says witness. I want you to be my witness. He doesn't want you to be his defense attorney. He doesn't need you to be his prosecutor. You don't have to defend God. He doesn't say you will be my salesman. You don't have to be a salesman for God. I love this sign. I want to buy it and put it on my porch. No soliciting. We're too broke. We know who we're voting for. We found Jesus. Unless you're giving away beer or wine or have a package from Amazon or selling Thin Mints, go away. Isn't that how you feel? I mean, that's how I feel. I understand. All God wants you to do is be a witness. What is a witness? Somebody who saw something. And I'm going to talk more about this next week. We're going to see some of the examples of this in, 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 the, in the chosen. I saw this. I witnessed this. I've experienced this. And this is what happened. Okay? When John Grisham, probably one of the most not the number one, but number two or three author in the whole world, wrote his first book, A Time to Kill. It sold 5,000 copies. It wasn't advertised. It never made a list. It wasn't reviewed by anybody. It was a flop, okay? Then he wrote The Firm, and it wasn't advertised either. It was hardly reviewed, and the reviews really weren't very good. But other people read it, and they liked it, and somehow The Firm sold 7 million copies. And now he is one of the most popular authors of all time. And at one point, never in history ever before, he had the number one, number two, and number three books on the, on the bestseller list. How did that happen? Great advertising? Did he add social media? No, it didn't even exist back then. It was just somebody telling somebody else, hey, this is a good book. <laughs> Don't ever underestimate the power of a witness. Don't ever underestimate an invitation. People are hungry for hope right now. They're hungry for hope. And one invitation might change their whole life. Funniest story I have of this. I, I, was just, I just spoke at a pastor's conference a couple of weeks ago, and, and I told this story. I hadn't remembered it for a long time. Um, we were talking about hell in church one day. Some of you remember this. And we made the uh, decision, um, I don't know if it was right or not, to cover Highway to Hell, um, ACDC. Some of you remember that, right? Because I, I wanted to use it as an illustration, okay? 
So, 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 so the story is that, that um, there was a, a woman in our church who wasn't able to drive, and she was literally paying a guy, making part-time money to come, and this is before Uber existed, to, to, to take her and drive her around, okay? And he needed extra money um, because he'd been in jail and was having a hard time finding work. And, and, and so, so she hired this guy, and she hired him to take her to Parkview. And as he is at Parkview that day, that fateful day that we covered Highway to Hell, imagine as he heard Angus playing this. You've always wanted to do that, haven't you, Gary? Yeah, that's what I'm talking. Imagine that you're out now. I mean, I just made his whole life, okay? Imagine that you're, (laughs) way to go, way to go, Angus. Imagine he, he decided to stay and just sit in the lobby because, you know, why go home and then come back? It was only going to be an hour. So all of a sudden he hears that and he's like, what in the, what is going on? And he came in and he found Jesus and he got baptized and he became a monster children's volunteer in our church. You understand that? Because, no, no, wait a minute. She paid him to come, Okay. It wasn't just an invitation, she paid him. So here's the deal. Here's what Andy Stanley gives us three things to look for uh, as, as we implement this in our own churches, three cues to look for. When you hear one of these cues in a conversation with somebody else, here, here's, this is when it's time to invite, okay? And here they are. Things are not going well in my life. I was not prepared for. I am not from here. One of those three knots means you should give them an egg, okay? You should invite them to church. You should tell them about Jesus. Things are not going well. I was not prepared for, right? Inflation, war, pandemic, all of us are there. I am not from here, you know? Um, where did you just move from? Whatever, right? That's cue from it for an invite. You see, the whole point of history, human history, is that God wants us to have the family back together. And all of those people around us at the ends of the earth in Judea, Samaria, and in Jerusalem are supposed to be part of God's family. And here's the amazing part. God has chosen us to complete the mission. The mission that Jesus started when he came to this earth. He said, I want you guys to finish it. What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of the myth that people aren't interested in spiritual issues? Because I guarantee you nothing could be further from the truth. Sure, the church maybe, have, maybe has a bad reputation right now. Christianity maybe has a bad reputation right now. But people are hungry for spiritual truth. Every single poll says people are more interested now than they were even 10 years ago. And there's so much hopelessness in the world. And we have the only answer. This is what burdens me, you guys. So if you don't know, and I'll show this picture for those of you who are online, at every one of our campuses we have light walls, and we've decided to call this the year of first steps, right? And the first step is for somebody to take a first step. So on every one of those light bulbs is written the initials of somebody that we all prayed about at the beginning of the year and and said, we're going to invite that person to come to church. We're going to invite that person to our small group. We're going to invite that person to take their next first step, whatever that is. 
And you know there are people on that light bulb that you need to give an Easter egg to. You know there are people on that light bulb that you've been praying for and it's time to, to be a witness. It's time to step up. And, 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 and again, inside this thing, um, you know, I mean, there are, there are these gummy bears. I don't know if everybody got gummy bears, but they're my favorite candy. My favorite candy. Do not bring me any. I can't stop eating them. Do not bring me any. Bring me black jelly beans. I hate those, okay? Um, really, they taste like dirt. I don't understand that. Um, there's some gummy bears and this little card inside that has our website on the back that, that I can't read because it's so small that says Parkview Church slash Easter, and you can invite them and, and get them to come to church. And I mentioned Mike Singletary, okay? Do you know anybody who, who's from Chicago who wouldn't love to see me and Mike Singletary on the stage together again? We've had him before. May 1st, he's going to be here. He's going to be hanging out with us. We're going to try to do a men's night the night before, and he's going to be here for our service. That's two weeks after Easter so that we can get people to Easter and we can get them back for Mike Singletary. Why? So we can fill the place up? No. So that we can reach and raise and release. That's what we do. All right? Now, here is Ray's, Matthew helping Jesus edit his Sermon on the Mount, which he's about to give, and Matthew thinks he's a little crazy. Anyone who looks at the woman with lust has already committed adultery. Doesn't that make everyone an adulterer? If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Wouldn't that lead to an entire population of people walking around with only one eye? Oh, and this one. If anyone were to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Hmm. Trees that bear bad fruit being cut down and torn into the fire. The gate is narrow and hard that leads to life. Depart from me, I never knew you. Do you realize how heavily laden your sermon is with these kinds of ominous pronouncements? I haven't even named half of them. It's a manifesto, Matthew. I'm not here to be sentimental and soothing. I'm here to start a revolution. Well... Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That isn't exactly... I said revolution, not revolt. I'm talking about a radical shift. Did you think I was just going to come here and say, hey, everyone, just uh, keep doing what you've been doing for the last thousand years since it's been going so great? (laughs) It's a great point, isn't it? I'm telling you, I love sarcastic Jesus. That's not bobblehead Jesus, is it? It's not. It's like, hey, things haven't been going so good, so I'm bringing you a manifesto. I'm bringing you a new way to do things. That's what raise is for us. So when it comes to the way we do things here at Parkview, we're always trying to point you back to the things that Jesus wants, to teach them to observe everything I have commanded you, not to do the same old stuff you've been doing for the past thousand years because it's not going so great. So if you haven't already jumped in on it, our team has put together a daily devotional for Lent, okay? It's a great time as we lead up to Easter to do something, and you can text, you can still get in, text Lent to 65649, and and get on the list and get signed up, and we will send you the stuff that that you can be doing. This week, you're going to be fasting from sugar, so (laughs) you can't eat the gummy bears in your eggs, okay? That works out really, really well, but every week, it's giving us something to fast from and some and some spiritual nourishment. I want to challenge you to make weekly worship a priority. Gathering together to worship, okay? And teaching and communion together and encouragement from others. And we're reminded that we're a part of something bigger when we worship together. 
and encourage each other. I've heard people say, well, I'm not getting as much out of church as I used to. Well, guess what? Maybe you're not supposed to. Maybe you're supposed to give something at church. Maybe you're supposed to help somebody else. Dads, can I speak directly to you? Your kids are watching you. Are you committed to this? Because they're going to do the same thing that you do. Speed of the leader, speed of the team. I want to encourage you to be growing with others. I want to encourage those of you who've been around for a long time. There are no long-ranger Christians. God needs us to be connected. If you're not regularly serving in the ministry of the church, participating in a small group, it's going to be hard for you to grow in your relationship to Him. If you want a group, we have a group finder. That go to parkviewchurch.com groups. Put, go to help me find my group in, on the card in, your, in front of you here. If you're online, give us an email. We'll get you signed up. You've already heard the baptism weekend is in two weekends. I'm really excited about that. I love mass baptism weekend, but we're going to use Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a great character in here. And Nicodemus is the one that Jesus said, unless you've been born of the water and the spirit, you can't be in the kingdom of God. We're going to do that in two weeks. Maybe you haven't ever done that. It'll be time for you. And lastly, we, we release, okay? We release. Um, here's the clip of Jesus talking to the kids about what his purpose was here on earth as it came to ministry to other people. You remember when I said that I have a job that is bigger than my trade? There is a woman who has had much pain in her life. And she was in trouble. So I helped her. Is she your friend? She is now. And I have chosen her and others, and more soon, to join me in traveling. Do they know you? Not yet. But what if they don't like you? Many won't. This is my reason for being here. I still don't understand. What is your reason for being here? I'm telling you this. Because even though you are children, and the elders in your life have lived longer, many times, adults need the faith of children. And if you hold on to this faith, Really tightly. Someday soon, you will understand all of what I'm saying to you. But you ask an important question, Abigail. What is my reason for being here? And the answer is for all of you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah. Isaiah. I have loved spending this time with you. You are all so very special. And I hope that my next students ask the same questions you do and that they listen to my answers. But I suspect they do not have the understanding you do. And I hope 
but when the time comes, they will tell others about me, like you have. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How does that happen? It happens when we release you to go do the ministry that needs to happen, to do the serving that needs to happen. Fascinating commentary on Russia. Eric Swanson. He said, when the communists took over Russia in 1917, they did not make Christianity illegal. I didn't know this. Their constitution, in fact, did guarantee freedom of religion, but what they did make illegal was for the church to do any good works. No longer could the church fulfill its historic role in feeding the hungry or welcoming the stranger or housing the orphan or educating children or caring for the sick. What was the result? Seventy years later, the church was totally irrelevant to the communities in which it dwelt. What Lenin did by diabolical design, Swanson says, most churches have done by default. But the result is identical. The church is irrelevant to most people. Take away service, and you take away the church's power, influence, and evangelical effectiveness. The power of the gospel is combining the life-changing message with selfless service. Isn't that fascinating? I thought they outlawed the church. They didn't. They just made the church not able to do the work the church is supposed to do. Paul said, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. James said, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. One of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Let me close it this way, okay? Everything I do here is born out of a deep theological conviction. And my theological conviction is that the Bible tells me that someday the world is going to end and a new one is going to begin. And those people who have Jesus are going to be glad about it. And you can tell me I'm stupid, but I've studied both sides of it. I have a doctorate in religion, which doesn't mean I just studied the Bible. I studied all the stuff people say against the Bible. And in spite of anything you may have heard or read, I firmly believe that all of us are sinners and we don't deserve to spend eternity with a holy God. And Jesus died for our sins and paid the price so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have an everlasting life. But that also means that those people who don't believe will perish. The the, the Bible says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching it to them? I didn't make that up. I may be misinterpreting the Bible, but but I, I, I really believe my conviction is that my only real job and our only real job is to bring heaven to earth and to take everyone I come into contact on earth with me to heaven. I have that tattooed on my shoulder. I believe it that strongly. And please, if you don't understand why we're called Parkview, um, there's no view of any park. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Any, any one of our campuses. 
It was because, I mean, we wanted Park in the name, you know, because we went from Tinley Park to Orland Park, and I wanted South Park, and nobody would let me do it. <laughs> so we did, somebody said Parkview, and all of us said Parkview, like Johnny Cash's song about the Parkview Mental Hospital, like Parkview Hospital, like Parkview has a medical connotation. And Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick, Right? So we are Parkview Medical Christian Church. That's what we are. It's the most important thing in the world that we do. This was my theme picture for a generosity campaign we did back in 2011, and it still works for me now. We took this picture in Kenya with all the kids that wanted to get in. And we have to let them in. And the way we accomplish that is by getting rid of bobblehead Jesus and mascot Jesus and being with him and watching him and reaching and raising and releasing. Listen to this line from Peter in this clip and then we will worship together. Peter says, remember when our father taught us to fish, we just sat there and watched until we became fishermen and we will watch him forever. They have no idea who sits before them. <laughs> to be a child again, yes? I think we are the lucky ones. They have to go home with their parents tonight. We get to stay with him and his mother. Where will that be? Who knows? But they might have learned to stop worrying about those things. I haven't. It's cold in this region. You think he would let you freeze? My brother has many worries. I keep reminding him of when our Abba taught us how to fish. We just sat there and watched until we became fishermen. Mm. We will watch him. And watch and watch and watch. Forever, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 